Pick your Bibles up. Let's say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, glad to be here tonight. I've got my receiver turned on. I receive revelation. Revelation knowledge is the rock upon which the church is built. It's the revelation knowledge is my foundation. I shall never fail in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 8. Paul is speaking. He said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count, myself, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Everybody shout one thing. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so tonight I wanted to uh, share a message entitled The Importance of One Thing. The Importance of One Thing, One Thing. God leads us along the way to know Him in increasing measure, or in other words, spiritual growth. If you'll follow him, he will, he will follow you in the way of growth, or you know him better and better. That's the whole point. Of course, you can't know him apart from the Word. And uh, you've got to have the Holy Ghost. You've got the Spirit to help you with the Word. I mean, the Word and the Spirit working together. And so, uh, Paul did not consider himself to have arrived. You know, even though he was a highly educated man, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He goes into all this in earlier chapters. But, but uh, you know, he, he set aside his earthly learning, his sense knowledge, in other words, his sense knowledge. He had a lot of sense knowledge. He set that aside. He told the Corinthians, he said, you know, I didn't come to you with fancy preaching, uh, hermeneutics and, hermo, you know, hermeletics and hermeneutics and all this Bible school kind of stuff. He said, I came to you in weakness and in trembling and in fear. What was that all about? Because he was, his fear of God was that he had a great responsibility to, to share with them truth. It wasn't about being afraid of them. He it wasn't afraid of God, but he just had a godly fear in his ministry and in his life to always share the whole counsel of the Word of God. I have not shunned to share with you the whole counsel, he told the 12 
uh, elders of Ephesus. I haven't shunned to share with you the whole council. Why would he do that? Because he, you know, he was, he had the fear of God upon him. It's lacking in the church, major, major hole in the church is the fear of God. Now, I don't mean the starch, cold starch fear of God, like being afraid of his presence. I'm talking about reverencing him, wanting to please him more than man. Fear of man brings a snare. But the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So anyway, one thing. He said one thing. Or, you know, when you see the word one thing, or the phrase one thing, it's his focus, it's his priority. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, the big thing about multitasking nowadays is multitasking. People have, thir- you know, all these things going on at one time, you know, in their cubicle. You know, if you've, got a, if you've got a cubicle you work in, you probably are multitasking. They probably got you on all kind of stuff all at one time. Uh, the first multitasker I ever saw was on the Ed Sullivan Show, and he had these pool cues, and he had these plates, and he would spin the plates. Remember that? No, y'all are too young to know that. But he would spin the plates, and they had the music going, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and he'd spin the plates, and the plates would spin at the top of the pool cue like this, and it would just go like that, you know, and he would just go around down the line. And then over here on the other side of the stage, it's getting weaker. And then he'd run over there and the music is going. Dun, 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 dun. That was the first multitasker I ever saw. <laughs> Broke a lot of dishes. All right. So one thing, his focus or priority, which actually included three things. <laughs> his one thing turned into three things. And uh, what? Forget the past, reach to the future, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. So his one thing was really three things. <laughs> uh, and really, the imagery here of pressing toward the mark of the prize, pressing toward the mark, he used the imagery of the games a lot in his letters. And the games, you know, were originated by the Greeks, which we call the Olympics now, but they had, you know, all of the games. And so he's talking about a runner. He's talking about a runner leaning toward the tape to break the tape or the string or whatever they had across there. And that imagery was, I'm straining to, like I'm in a race. Is he racing against someone else? No, he's just... It's his race to win. He talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12. He runs the race that is set before him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith. So the sprinter reaching to break the tape at the finish line. We're just about at the finish line, aren't we? just about at the finish line. What, what would be the finish line? The end of this age. The end of the church age and the beginning of the next age. Where are you going to see the book of Revelation fulfilled? I like what Brother Wiseman was talking about, you know, where our job is to stop the acceleration of the Antichrist timing. We can't stop what he's going to do because it's in the book. So some people, you know, they're so simple that they just don't think much. People don't have any, 
You know, God gave us a brain to think. We ought to be able to critically think and think logically and critically. And you can be, if you've got the mind of Christ, you can think like God thinks. But our job is to not allow him to do something ahead of time. Why? Because if he did something ahead of time, everything is thrown off. Oh, that can't happen. God is in control. See, I, you know, quit saying that. Don't ever put that on Facebook again. You hear me? If I catch any of you, no, I'm just joking. It's on my Facebook page all the time. Well, God is in control. God, He's in ultimate control, but he's not in control. You're, that, it, when you say that, you're, you're, you're causing people to stumble because they say, yeah, if God, it, God is in control. He's, a, he's the author of all this death and destruction, lies and everything. No, he's not, and he's not in control. The church should be. The church should be stopping the spirit of Antichrist in its tracks. But we've let the Antichrist progress. And he, of course, will progress. I mean, he's going to get stuff done. He did, he did in, in John's day. He said there's many antichrists in the world. So they weren't able to stop all of it. But the main thing is that we're going to stop his timing. So uh, let's look at Psalm 27. David knew something about the one thing. I'm talking about the importance of one thing, and that is to know God in increasing measure. We always... We need to have that as a main priority in our life. It's a single focus to know him better. We want to know a lot of things. We want to study a lot of things. We want to be expert in a lot of things. Well, let's know him. Psalm 27. David wrote about one thing. One of my favorite Psalms. Verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Well, then he added on to it. Now it's two things. <laughs> and to inquire at his temple. So one thing really turned into three things. But as far as he was concerned, the, the main thing was God and knowing him. Y'all with me now? Is that our main thing? I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd, so it must be pretty high on your list or you wouldn't be here on a Sunday night. Amen. And he, he, uh, he wrote this all the whole time he was running from Saul. Saul is running to kill him. And what was he doing? He was running partially to know God with all of his heart and soul, to know him the best way he could know him. He didn't talk too much about Saul chasing him. He just talked about how much he wanted to know God, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to behold the beauty of the Lord, inquire in his temple. You can't blame God and seek him at the same time. <laughs> he didn't complain about Saul. It was unjust. Can you just think about this young man? I mean, it was so unjust the way he was treated. You know, I don't know why he didn't get a lawyer and sue Saul. You rascal. 
cheated him out of his girl. You know, the whole, the whole thing, I mean, just, just, he was just mistreated something fierce. But, you know, his focus was on the God who always was good, was faithful. God was faithful. So, you know, it's just, I know this group here is more mature than to blame God. You don't blame God, do you? You don't blame him for the trouble. You know where the, who the troublemaker is. It's not God. He's not the troublemaker. He's the deliverer. All right, let's look at another example here. Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. Jesus is talking about this one thing. Must be pretty important. Here it is. You know, the prophetic anointing just looks for, looks for patterns. So I love to hear Brother Wiseman because he just identifies all these patterns in the Bible. He's a seer. I got so tickled because he shared that dream with me. Thursday night, he, he shared a dream that he had a few months ago. And uh, he woke up at 3.16 in the morning. And, uh, and there he was, and he had this urgency to pray. And, uh, you know, and he had uh, Kenneth Copeland on his heart. He didn't want to mention his name, but I will. I don't. No big deal. We're partners with Kenneth Copeland. And uh, he had Kenneth Copeland on his heart, so he started praying fervently for Kenneth Copeland in the middle of the night. I mean, early in the morning, 3, 3.16 in the morning. And then at 4.19, one hour and three minutes later, you know, he just had kind of a release and he looked at the clock. It was 419. I said, yeah, you started with John 316. God so loved the world. And you ended with God, you know, God shall supply all our need according to his riches and glory. The word he had for Brother Copeland was, um, what was it? It was uh, uh, blessings which cannot be contained. Blessings which cannot be contained. It, that's, that was it. Well, he that was the verse, Philippi, you know, Philippians 4.19. <laughs> and he never, he didn't catch that. He didn't catch the clock being a scripture. Yeah. And I mean, I laughed and laughed and I laughed and I laughed because I got to contribute to his prophetic dream, you know. And so he got really blessed about that, about the verses. And of course, John 3.16, God so loved the world. So love was the motivation of his prayer and it gave him the urgency. That ought to be all our motivation of prayer was love. We need to love the sinner. You know, they're hard to love. It's hard to love these people dressing up in drag. It's hard to love them. But God loves every one of them. He died for them. And I do believe what Brother Wiseman said. There's, there's going to be some of them get saved. The light is going to hit the seed. Just like it did Paul, Saul of Tarsus. I mean, Saul got saved. And he, was, he was persecuting the church. Anyway. All right, have you found Mark chapter 10? So he texted Brother Copeland in the middle of the night, I mean, four o'clock in the morning, text Brother Copeland. Brother Copeland answered him right back. That this is God. This means, I know exactly what this means. You have heard from God. Thank you, Brother Wiseman. <laughs> I tell you, thank God for prophets having fellowship one with another. All right, Mark chapter 10. Verse 17, 
And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, he took a second look. How many of you know he had his spiritual antenna up? How many of you know he talked about, it's, it's fi he's fixed his gaze on him, see? He, he, was in, he encountered him and he, and he answered him, but now he's really looking at him. Beholding him, said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Everybody shout one thing. <laughs> wouldn't you like it if it was just one thing you lacked? I mean, wouldn't you kind of count it like a trophy, you know? I only lack one thing, man. I mean, I'm, I've got all this on my side except just one thing. Jesus said just this one thing that you lack. Another, I think Luke, I, it says Jesus looked at him loving him, loved him, and said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever you have, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. Now let me ask you something. Did he say that he had to give away all of his money? He didn't say that. It said sell what you have. He's got money. It didn't say give all your money away. He said sell what you have. Get all your earthly attachments because I'm calling you. Sell what you have. You shall have treasure in heaven. You're not going to be destitute. You're going to sow a seed for your ministry. And come, take up your cross and follow me. He had every bit as much of an apostolic call as Peter, James, and John. He was every bit as called as the 12. He would have been the 13. They wouldn't have had to cast lots in the upper room. He would have, you know, he'd have been hanging around there if he'd obeyed the call. Jesus called him. Everybody say apostolic call. Verse 22, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. Or you could say his possessions had him. I mean, he just did not want to get rid of his leather couch. Hand-tooled leather. Didn't want to do it. Didn't want to get rid of his Duncan Fife chair or whatever it was that he had. He still had money. He got money. You're going to sow a seed. That's all it is. You sow a seed. You can sell what you have, give it to the poor, sow your seed. See, if he knew what Jesus was saying, Jesus was saying, you're going to, sell, you're going to sow a seed for your ministry. You're going to get all these entanglements off of you so you can travel with me. 
And he went away sad. He measured it wrong. His one thing, see, what was his one thing? Riches and all the stuff that went with it. His Tesla, his Bugatti. I'll go higher. Bugatti is four million. Did you know they're still making Bugattis? 1,600 horsepower. $4 million. If you can get one. He had one. Right? He had one. No, he didn't have. I know. I'm just. He probably had a rare donkey. I wonder if his donkey had those eyelashes that I see all the time. Those eyelashes that are like that. I mean, you just stand in front of that girl and she could keep you cool, man, and just bat those eyelashes. His one thing, see, look, his one thing had nothing to do. Here he had a call. Jesus loved him. And he, he, Jesus was not in the, he didn't really mean what he said. What do I have to do? He knew he was lacking something. He knew he was lacking something because he kept all the commandments. He's, he's God-fearing after, after a fashion, but yet the one thing he had was not the one thing he needed. Amen? All right, let's, one more here. Luke 10. Mark 10 to Luke 10. Talking about one thing tonight. And I think in the context of where we are right now and the way things are with the world and the temptations that we have, the distractions that we have, uh, it'd be good for us to keep that one thing in mind all the time. Because <laughs> there's all kinds of things trying to compete with that one thing and turn it into one of the things. And hopefully took, take it out of first place and put it somewhere along the lower echelon. So here we have Luke 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he, Jesus, entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. These 25 pound blocks of ice are heavy and I need some help. I've got to break up the ice for the iced tea, and I've been having to do it all by myself. And then all the rest of the chicken fried steak, the gravy, I've, I've got it all on me. Jesus, get my sister to do something besides sit around here. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. That's what I tell Gladys every now and then. I said, oh, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Would you please empty the waste basket there? Oh, oh, Martha, Martha. 
Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Everybody say many things. But one thing is needed. Glory to God. See the many things. There's many, many things. Many things we can be involved with. Many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken from, away from her. So the contrast of sisters, you got Martha distracted, anxious, troubled over many things, jealous, snippy, controlling. I mean, she got trying to get Jesus to do something. Why don't you tell your sister to get off of her blessed assurance and get up here and get something done? Why do you want Jesus to do your job? You know, when you, when you open your home to Jesus, you had to open your home to his entourage. I mean, it's, it's not just Jesus. Everybody's coming with him. I mean, it's, it's a cruise, kind of like last Sunday. I mean, you go to the birthday party, and it's a, big, it's a big deal. So how about Mary is seating at Jesus' feet, and, and she heard the word. She heard the word. So one thing, say one thing. Sometimes we won't sit there in our prayer closet. We won't sit there at our favorite Bible reading chair. We won't sit there and on sofa or wherever it is that you read your Bible and pray. We won't sit there very long because of many things. But one thing is needful. Jesus said one thing is needful, number one. Number two, it must be chosen. You have to choose it. She chose it. Mary chose it. She knew what was going on. She chose to sit there and hear the word. And perhaps be persecuted. Perhaps, perhaps be on the outs with nervous Nellie. I mean, Martha. Amen. Has to be chosen. Number three, it's better. It's better. Everybody say the one thing is better. And it shall not be revoked. When you make, make your commitment to make that one thing, I'm telling you, God won't leave you while you're there. He will stay with you. He will reveal himself to you. He'll give you something to listen to. Hallelujah. One thing, focus, priority, to know him in increasing measure. Amen. Come on, lift your hands and receive tonight. Hallelujah. Just a simple little thing, but so important, especially right now. Glory to God. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Amen.